Hello, welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dino Vrelli, founder, CEO of Project Purple. Today we're back in the podcast studio and I've got a special guest for our audience today watching on our YouTube channel and also listening here on our podcast channel, but coming to us from Chicago. I don't think he's originally from Chicago. I know the last time I talked to Rainer Zach, uh, he was in California, but welcome to the Project Purple Podcast, Rainer. Thank you, Dino. Appreciate it. It's nice to be here. Thanks uh, for all the nice things you're doing for people like me and uh, caregivers. Well, uh, as we were saying before we hit record, uh, you know, I got into this for my dad, uh, from our family experience, but it's it's evolved and it's become so much more um, for families like yours that are going through it and families that have come to us and have participated. So it's truly an honor. I, you know, our podcast has been something that's been really special for me. I had this idea, you know, probably five or six years ago. And now fast forward, we're four years into this and the survivors that have come on, the participants to just share their journey in an effort to raise awareness for this thing called pancreatic cancer is just really, really special. So anytime we have survivors on, I get really excited because to me, this is why we do what we do every day to get more survivors, to raise awareness. And so when we're able to share stories of survival um, and stories of, of what people are doing to, to beat pancreatic cancer and to live every day with pancreatic cancer and how they're getting by, because as I've seen in now 12 years in this disease, it's not one size fits all. Everyone goes about it a little bit differently, but you just never know who's listening or who's watching on the other side that potentially could benefit from something you may say today or something that we've said on a previous podcast with another survivor or fighter. So um, the honor's all mine. So thank you for for making the time and for coming on board. And uh, as I mentioned, the first segment is always dedicated to the guest. Uh, this is a, your opportunity to share with our audience kind of your backstory, you know, what brings you here today, how you got there. Um, and with that, the mic is yours, Rainer. Thank you. Um, yeah, so I, you're right. I'm not from here originally. I um, came to the U.S. in 89. I was just here by accident. I was trying to go to Hawaii to become a professional windsurfer. That was my thing back then. And then somebody invited me to stop in New York to visit them. And that visit turned into 10 years. And then <laughs> I was in Chicago for 10 and Los Angeles for a little bit. And I've been in San Diego since 2012 but i'm in chicago now visiting friends uh, with my children and then we're flying to to europe next week for about a month to visit my folks yeah so a busy summer um yeah so i was i was always pretty healthy um i did i was um, exposed to secondhand smoke for about 25 years i used to work in the restaurant industry in new york city <clears throat> I also briefly smoked for a couple of years, about 20 years ago. But other than that, never really had anything. Maybe got a cold every five, six years, and that was it. And then in 2000, uh, in May of 2020, I, I was ready for my annual checkup, and I felt like a little bit of pressure on my stomach. And miraculously... I had lost four to five pounds in a few months and without doing anything different. I was kind of excited about that. Um, you know, I when I got diagnosed, I put things together. I'm like, okay, nothing. You don't just get a free weight loss, you know. Um, so I got diagnosed pretty quick. Um, my doctor was pretty amazing. Um, they, they went me through a whole bunch of tests. Within two days, I was diagnosed. I got lucky. My my uh, girlfriend, she's a nurse, so she helped me. We got a second opinion and a third opinion from Johns Hopkins and uh, I think Mayo Clinic. Within four weeks, I was, you know, I was in chemo treatment. Um, I had I had no idea about cancer. There's no cancer in my family. I don't know anybody really with, with cancer. Uh, I had never thought about it, um, and it was kind of you know. First, I was lost, but then I had helpful friends. But all I knew was there's, you know, chemotherapy, which is poison. There's burning, which is radiation. And there's, you know, 
immunotherapy. Um, so I started my journey with that. Um, lost, you know, basically, uh, by the first doctor I saw, uh, he told me I had three to six months to live. Um, if I uh, started chemo, I might be able to extend it to 12 months. I had a whole list of questions, like 50 questions. Uh, after the 10th question, I already kind of felt he was rushing me. When I asked him about nutrition, he he looked at me like, what do you mean nutrition? And I'm like, he's like, you can eat whatever you want. Try to eat high-calorie foods. I'm like, like pizza? He's like, yeah, pizza, ice cream. Yeah, ice cream. So he had no nutritional training, I think. So that wasn't that wasn't for me. Um, I didn't really find any other doctors that were heavily vested in any alternatives besides chemo. But I did end up starting my chemotherapy, um, and the success was pretty good. Um, tumor shrunk um, pretty rapidly, but I, uh, I was deteriorating pretty quickly. I was, uh, you know, I went from a 210 pounds to 155. I uh, I got neuropathy, so I always had cold feet. I was starting to stumble a little bit. I was so weak, I could barely walk up the stairs. I would throw up like 10 times a day. And yeah, it was pretty bad. And for, you know, for my kids to see that was, was pretty rough. Um, yeah, so then I started, I started looking for alternatives. You know, luckily I, um, I was able to stop working I have a small business and my partner, you know, keeps running. So I was lucky enough to just dedicate all my time to research into alternatives and nutrition and uh, different ways of healing. Um, and then slowly I, uh, I kind of developed my own methods. I stopped the chemotherapy. Um, I'm now on a, a inhibitor drug, which is targeted for my, um, my mutation. I'm taking half the dose of that. And I don't really have any side effects. Um, and my tumor is currently inactive, according to the, the, the blood data. And they're about 20% of the original size. I did get a stent placed um, about a year ago, which is in there and has to be replaced about once a year. And that was just done as well. Um, yeah, so that's that's my story for, for, for them. So I've got a couple questions, of course, here, but taking notes. So I'm going to go back to the very beginning. Where are you from originally? You said you came here in 89. Germany. Oh, sorry. Okay. Germany. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> you mentioned you were looking to become a professional windsurfer. That was my dream. Yeah. So anyone who's at that level, anything professional sports-wise, you're probably in pretty good shape. I was in good shape pretty much all my life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, eating, working out, doing everything you need to do to become a professional in that sport, regardless of whatever sport it is, you're training at a very high level. So yeah, you may go out, party, whatever, but you're still burning tons of calories. You're still yeah, working out, your physical activity. So you weren't sedentary, uh, you know, in terms of your lifestyle and, and the smoking thing. I, I always, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? As we look back, but as you said, and I, I want to, you mentioned two things here. There was no cancer history in the family. And yeah. in terms of lifestyle, it wasn't like you were going out raves every night, partying late to the night, recovering. So lifestyle wise was pretty normal and health wise, really nothing that we could look back again, hindsight being 2020 to say, oh, maybe like 10 years prior, I had this like massive indigestion that wouldn't go away for like a month, but then it went away and I never thought about it twice. There was nothing like that. Yeah, no, I mean, there was no event. Um, I mean, there was the exposure to secondhand smoke, which was pretty heavy for many years, you know? But then, then we could say though, everyone who was in the, the, the early nineties and late eighties that worked in a restaurant would be yeah, getting cancer true. at this point, that's right? True. Like, I think that's hard to, to, I mean, I remember like, even as a little kid, I remember going, I'm 
my parents are Italian, what a name like Dino. Uh, I remember going to Italy the first time. I mean, there people were smoking on the plane. Like, you know, I, you know, yeah, listeners, in too. you know, mm-hmm. right, right. And in Europe, like 80 years. So, yeah. 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 Well, it's that and, and, you know, I think stress is a big, is a big factor. You know? Correct. Yeah. That's kind yeah, of, I think what it did for me, I a, a pretty bad divorce and custody battle for, you know, a, a, a many years, you know? So I think stress is a big part of it. You know, and I think it's that also kind of opened my eyes to the opposite must be true, right? If we can think ourselves sick, we can think ourselves healthy, you know? Uh, I don't know if you're Correct. familiar with Joe Dispenza. Um, I'm sure you are. You know, that's his kind of teaching. So I've doing, been doing a lot of that um, meditation work, you know, visualization mm-hmm. and things like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, the mind is an amazing organ. Uh, the brain, I should say. Um, and, and I think doing the podcast as long as we have, having the amount of survivors we've had, I will tell you this, Rainer, and, and the audience listening, that there are a lot of commonalities that I've seen. And one day, maybe I'll write a book about this or we'll do some sort of research on this as have someone listen to each podcast that we've had with survivors on. And But th- the point here is that the mental approach to cancer is is pretty different than other people because I, I think a lot that I've heard you know throughout the years from various survivors is just that mental approach, that mental aspect that they can beat this thing and cancer doesn't define them and you know winning winning the battle, you know mentally um, you know regardless of how many treatments or how tough the treatments are, they're, they're still winning. You know, and, and and the brain and the mind is such a, a powerful organ. And that mindset, I think, is critical. Um, because, you know, I, I think it's easy, you know, the, the, the challenging piece, and, and you mentioned this, you know, the chemo, you know, does have a lot of nasty side effects. And that can bring people down really quick. Um, and that's not to say that people who don't, you know, get back up. There's nothing against, you know, there's nothing wrong with them, but it's really easy to go down that rabbit hole, you know, early on, if you have a bad reaction to the chemo, or if the numbers don't move as quickly as possible, or if you have some really nasty side effects. And that's the, I think the challenging piece with this disease is that with other cancers, I think the, the quality of life with chemotherapy treatments is a little bit different. Um, you know, and it's a little bit more predictable, I guess I would say would be probably the better term. And that's where I think, you know, is part of the frustration from the awareness community and also from the medical community, I'm sure as well with, with many doctors where, you know, one patient has a really good experience on a certain chemotherapy protocol. And then you bring in a, a, like a similar patient in and they have a complete 180 degree difference, you know, in terms of quality of life and how they experience and what their reaction is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, you know, like I'm, I'm not against chemotherapy. I'm just, um, you know, I, I, I just think, you know, people don't get any options, you know? It's like, no. like to me, when I started my treatment, it was like, I was the, I was um, a spectator in the whole thing. You know, that's kind of how I felt, you know? And, um, and I, I know, I don't know, you know, it's hard to say, I mean, you do so many things, you know, what's, what's helping, you know, maybe the fact that the initial chemo knocked it down quickly, was the was a game changer you know it's hard to say yeah you Um, You mentioned no i i just want to ask this question quick and then i want to i want to talk about that spectator concept that you have there but you mentioned mutation so do you were you did they do genetic testing on you because that was one of my questions here well we we yeah we had that done i mean they didn't offer that but you know without my girlfriend i wouldn't have been I wouldn't know about this, you know, but she did. And they found a rare mutation. <laughs> and, you know, my, my, this drug that I'm on is, you know, it's not great. It's not that damaging, you know, I, I don't yeah. know if, if that's the reason I'm doing so well or the cancer is, is inactive, but, you know, if it's not damaging me long-term, then I'm okay taking it, you know, that's the, that's the crazy thing that takes time to understand, you know, the, the doctor's, once they, once they, once they, once you get diagnosed stage four pancreatic cancer, they don't, 
they're not looking at the damage they might be causing in you 10 years down the road because 90% of people or 99 don't get to that point, you know? But Correct. then when you when you when you get to my point where you're two years in and you're doing well and you're like, well, I mean, I believe that I'm going to well, whatever I'm doing now, if it destroys my liver in five years, then I'm not going to do it, you know, because I'm going to be around for five years. So it's just a lot of decisions that, you know, doctors don't make and don't offer and that you have to come up with yourself and then make with your family, you know. So on that point, though, do you think this is a loaded question, there's no right or wrong, but given your experience, do you think it's a lack of knowledge by the doctor or do you think it's a systemic issue, the system? Yeah, I think it's a systemic issue and that causes lack of knowledge because, you know, I... I Correct. There is no med- there is no nutritional training, for example, right? Required in many of the co- courses, uh, cl- uh, colleges. Some do; they all offer them, but they're not required. Yeah. And the workload is so intense. I mean, my my oncologist assistant is is not even finished, and he's been going to school for twenty four years. Yeah. yeah. And then it's I crazy. Mean, my doctor has two hundred fifty patients. You know, so I don't. Know. You know, I think it's it's a uh, I really don't know how the system is different, you know, because I, I haven't been sick in another country. I, I know from from Europe, it's uh, medic. I mean, for not financially, it's better because it's it's more or less free. But yeah, you know, I do know, and it's anecdotal that some of my friends back there took a long time to get into treatment. You know, Correct. so if, if you if I, I started my chemo four weeks after my diagnosis, and I have three opinions. And I had three doctors that I talked to and had interviews with. And I, I was on the first trip uh, four weeks after. So, you know, had I waited three months, I might have might have been too late, you know. So, but yeah, the system, yeah, I don't know, mm, you know. Yeah, I, I, I think, and we've talked about this a couple of times on the podcast. We've had a couple of patients um, leave the country to seek treatment seek alternative treatments, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I'm not trying to throw anyone under the bus here, but, you know, our job as a an awareness foundation, we, we hope to raise as much awareness um, with the podcast and what we do with our events about the disease. The reason why I started Project Purple is I saw cracks in the system. Mm-hmm. I saw the, the challenges that my dad and my family were experiencing and I wanted to change that. So by coming on the podcast and having people talk about this, I think is critical. Um, and it, it almost pains me, Rainer, you know, here we are 11 years, my dad died in 2011. So here we are 11 years later and I still hear the same horror stories that we experienced in terms of misdiagnosis or to what you're saying is like, hey, you know, there's really, you know, the doctor tells you the chemotherapy and now thinking about it. And I, I, I've become really good friends with a lot of medical oncologists and a lot of surgeons. Not many of them know anything about nutrition. And to your point, they say, yeah, just get calories in. If it's ice cream or if it's Taco Bell or McDonald's, it doesn't matter. And I remember hearing you say that going back to my own personal experience with my dad, when he wasn't eating, the same thing was said. That was 11 years ago. But how much have we, like, so you mean to tell me we haven't progressed in 11 years with what we know about diet, right? And what we know about certain foods and what we know in particular with cancer, how much sugar impacts certain diseases, right? And now we look at, you know, obesity as a risk factor for so many diseases, including pancreatic cancer. So it's kind of, how do I put this politely <laughs> using the right term here? You know, if the, if the oncologist is saying, hey, just eat whatever, but we're, we're, we know that certain foods make us sick that are not good for us, it, it's kind of counter, it, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. yeah. Right? It, so yeah. so we're, 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 we're like me as, an, as a, a person of trying to raise awareness and trying to change the system is like, so where do we find that connection? Right. Where do we 
find where that disconnect is to fix that. To say to the medical community, hey, wait a minute, let's put the brakes on. Let's bring in a nutritional consultant. Or, you know what? My dad used to say, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, yeah, you can. You know, now, like, you know, bring in, make nutrition part of the training. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Part of oncology training, or, you know, somehow incorporate that because nutrition is so vital. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you can add more workload to the medical field, you know, and let them do nutrition, but they should work hand in hand with the nutritionist. You know, my, my hospital, I'm at Scripps, you know, MD Anderson in mm-hmm. San Diego. I mean, that's one of the top hospitals. Um, they, you know, they do have a nutritionist and they did give me the option to talk to her, you know, which is nice, but I bet you most hospitals don't even have that, you know? And then I did yeah. talk to her and, I mean, I'm not saying I, I, you know, I am saying I think I know more than she did, to be honest with you, you know, because I don't know if, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a, a fasting, I think is one of the, the, the greatest things you can do for yourself, right? And she, she was like, she had no, she had no, no opinion on it. I'm like, I'm, I'm intermittent fasting. That's what I do. Uh, my parents been doing it for 25 years in their 80s. They're fully cognitive. Um, you know, she had no idea about any of that. So, but um, yeah, it's nice to have a nutritionist to fall back on, you know, if you have no idea about nutrition. So talk about the fasting here for a second. Was that something that you did prior to being diagnosed or was it I something mean, that I've you incorporated? Done it off and on, not religiously, but, you know, my parents have. And I, have, I now do it religiously. I even try to eat in a shorter window to six hours. But, yeah. um, and then I try to throw in one full day of no eating, you know, after 24 hours, the benefits are just multiply, you know, you start producing growth hormones and, you know, all kinds of great things happen. So if I can, if I can, will my willpower, maybe once or twice a month, <laughs> I'll do a 36 hour fast, you know? So for our audience listening at home and watching, so intermittent fasting, let's, let's define that for them. So my understanding was like intermittent fasting is you, you do not eat any food i don't know if you can drink you can't drink drink, right okay yeah but you do not eat any solid food for like a period of longer than i think it's like 18 hours or 12 to 18 hours in that range eight hours eating and 20 and 16 hours no eating yeah so then you have that block shorter period it's supposed to be yeah you know and we were led to believe to eat like five small meals throughout the day correct because, you know, somebody wants to sell snacks, right? I mean, a, a little yeah. energy bar, which is basically just sugar. Sugar, yeah. You know, you want to sell two of those a day, you got to have five small meals. <laughs> well, it's fascinating. Yeah, we're joking here about the snacks, right? But I, I laugh. We just had our golf outing yesterday, and we had a brewery there. They do beer, craft beer is very big, has been very big here in Connecticut over the last five years. It's just kind of exploded. Yeah, yeah. But the craft beer guy was talking about now how they got into water. Because yeah. remember 10 years ago, there was really like Poland Spring and then like, you know, there was like a handful of waters. Yeah. Now everyone's got a water, everyone's got a bubble yeah. water, carbon, you know, seltzer water, all that, you know, in the can and everything. So it's fascinating, you know, going back to snacks, right? Like, I remember that was like, have five small meals a day. And then what did we see? Mass production of snacks, Doritos, all sorts. And then, you know, bagel bites, you can get all these things that are mass produced. Snacks, you know, those protein bars. And then Correct. The, the protein I bars. Mean, oh, the right? Gatorade. Yeah. Yeah. The Gatorade's <laughs> really good for you with like 70 grams of sugar in it. That'll, that'll keep you up. Yeah. So it's fascinating with that. So interestingly enough, and I don't know if you saw this, but, and please don't, uh, for those listening, I'm not an expert on this, but I do remember there was actually a study uh, I don't know if it was in the New England Journal of Medicine or if it was one of the other cancer uh, publications that talked about the benefits of intermittent fasting and certain chemo regimens for pancreatic cancer. Like it was actually a yeah. pro article for that. Mm-hmm. But again, this brings us back to diet, right? Like, and, and what also people are ingesting and, and how, how they're ingesting that and when they're ingesting that, which is, is really critical. 
I've got a question for you, though. I want to go back, not all the way to the beginning. I asked you the question, you know, like the system, you know, what is this a system? You know, whose fault is this or is it dot knowledge? Can you look back and hindsight's always 2020, Rainer, and you mentioned your girlfriend a couple of times that she was a nurse and you had the benefit of that. Was it maybe your upcoming, uh, upcoming, uh, you know, being from Germany, not necessarily being born here in the United States and going through our educational system. Where did that, and I, I guess the term would be like self-advocate, mm-hmm. you know, that advocating for yourself, where did that come from? And and maybe was there a point in this journey that maybe the, the flip, the, the switch was flipped, or maybe it was from the very beginning that, you know, you started to think about these things and have kind of these inner dialogues or maybe talking to your girlfriend or talking to these doctors and realizing like, Hey, this guy knows nothing about nutrition. Like I got to find someone else that knows about this, or I got to educate myself. Where does that come from? Or wh- when did that happen? I think, um, I was always into eating healthy nutrition and exercising and I mean, I read books on health and nutrition and things like that, just to, for, for fun. And, and yeah, initially, I mean, I just followed their advice. And then it wasn't, I mean, it was working to the fact that I was still alive, but I didn't have a quality of life. And, um, you know, that was basically, the chemo was basically killing me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so then... I don't know. I was never like a rebel questioning his authorities or dogmas or things like that. But when uh, when things didn't work, they didn't really have another alternative. And I mean, the the way the way they looked at it was kind of strange for me, right? They kind of looked at, okay, so we're going to try this drug, this combination. The tumor is going to smart get smart in two to three months. Then we're going to switch to this one, mm-hmm. and then we'll do this one, and then we have one more. So basically, they didn't say, you know, that's your limit, but they're like, then we have one more. And they're like, okay, so you have four things you can do for three months at a time, and that's it? <laughs> I'm like, there's got to be something else, you know? And then I just started researching, you know? And I was lucky enough to have the time to do it. And then I just came up with different things. Um, and I tried it, and I started working. So, you know, and then... But really, like, the more I, I think about it, the more I feel the mental part is the main thing. Um, I met a gentleman in, uh, on my recent travel to Mexico. His name is Bradley King. And he is a survivor of a very rare cancer. And he did it by just by meditating. Like, Dr. Joe Dispenza, I don't know, you know, if you're familiar with him, but that's, he basically followed his program, and he's now a health coach. And he kind of pointed me in that direction because I have all these things that I do physically uh, that I shared with him. And he's like, well, that's interesting, but I don't do any of these. I'm like, do you eat organic? He's like, not really. I'm like, okay. (laughs) So he was just doing meditation. So I I started focusing a little bit more on the mind aspect of the whole healing part, you know? So let's talk about that. So what is your routine like? I know you mentioned you know, the targeted drug for the rare mutation, mm-hmm. doing the intermittent fasting. Are you heavy, deep into meditation uh, as soon as you wake up? What's that routine look like? Well, I, uh, I start with the Wim Hof breathing. Wim Hof, yep. You know, awesome. I do, I usually do about five to eight cycles. I really get into it like totally deep. I mean, it's amazing, amazing feeling. Um, and while I do it, I visualize the either you know i switch it off sometimes i visualize no disease at all like everything being healthy down there sometimes i visualize little planes attacking the tumors and throwing bombs and you know whatever i can think of you know just a a visualization of that and then i do my cold exposure you know when there's no real cold water i just do the cold shower for like two to three minutes um but if I can, if I'm home in San Diego, I have like a cold plunge or mm-hmm. I go to the cold pool in this in this gym that I go to in the water, it's 39 degrees. I do four minutes in that. And then I feel like Superman. Right? And for the next four to six hours, I feel so great and amazing and happy. And um, um, yeah. And then, you know, I usually eat around noon or one o'clock. 
Um, I have, I really try, you know, I'm not super strict. I always thought like if you deprive yourself of everything fun, I don't think it's, it helps the healing, you know? So I do like mm -hmm. my bacon every once in a while. I do enjoy a beer every once in a while. I, you know, I splurge on potatoes or, you know, rice or whatever, you know? So I don't do necessarily do cake or stuff like that or ice cream a lot, but, you know, lots of greens. Limit my intake of dairy and meat. If I do eat meat, just try to do grass fed, but it doesn't always work, mm -hmm. you know? I don't drive myself crazy with it. Um, then I drink a mix of raw garlic and lemon juice. I do like one part of garlic, three parts of lemon. I throw ginger in there, turmeric, I mix it, I blend it and I squeeze it through some cheesecloth and I drink four ounces after every meal. Um, that was a, one of uh, Crispy Cancer's podcasts of a professor from Dubai who, uh, who did the study with mice and they had an amazing success rate. So I've been doing that for about a year. And the got with the lemon, it's very drinkable. And, you know, you barely have a smell or anything. Um, yeah, so that's my routine in the morning. Um, takes about two hours. Oh, and then I do coffee enema every morning. That takes time, you know. So, it's, um, yeah, you know, exercise. I try to lift weights to keep muscle. You know, it, it took me a little bit of time to gain my muscle back. Um I walk pretty much every day. Um, I take a whole bunch of different supplements. Um, I do take a lot of melatonin. You know, I read a lot mm -hmm. of studies on that. I take like 12 milligrams four times a day. I take uh, Rick Simpson oil. I used to take the full gram for about two months. Looks like the recommended protocol. And now I just take it at night. Um, I take fenbendazole. You know what that is? No. It's a dog dewormer. Um, huh. I've been taking that for a long time. And yeah, there's about 25,000 people on that support group on uh, on uh, on the internet taking it with a lot of success. So I've been taking We've it. We've had someone else on the podcast that has taken that. Yeah. Because I remember now, when you said dog dewormer, then the, the light bulb went off. But someone else on the podcast has mentioned that, that they were on that protocol. And mm -hmm. it might be very similar to what you're saying. Yeah. Um, my memory is not as sharp this morning because of our golf outing yesterday. But uh, that, that, that does ring a bell. Yeah. Yeah, you know, what else? I, 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 uh, I eat a lot of... Um nasty stuff like sardines which i hate i have to close my nose when i eat those you don't like omega, sardines well the omega-3 fatty acids i um a lot of like raw like greens and raw uh -huh. kale and you know I, it's like i started i always ate healthy now i'm super healthy and i just started kind of liking the stuff you know getting used to it like snacking on um, brussels sprouts instead of chips <laughs> yeah things like well, that you, you know so very conscious about what you're inputting yeah, into your body. A lot of mushrooms. I mean, I try to get just tons of organic raw food into, into me, you know, like whatever, as much as I can. You know? So from a, from a nutrition standpoint, nothing processed, nothing I mean, highly you know, processed. I mean, always, I mean, I do travel. It's so lot. hard. You know, I travel a lot and it's hard to do. And, you know, Correct. if you, I just came back from a 3,000 mile motorcycle trip down to Mexico. And, you know, you can't bring all your organic stuff Correct. and your spices. Yeah. You're somewhere in a taco shop in Mexico. It's not going to be organic, but whatever, you know. I think that but it's the, not, you know, I think it's the, not the, fully the processed. Experience, though. You know, like the, 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 the healing power you get from adventure, I think, outweighs all the, the, the downsides of potentially not having the perfect food on your trip you know in my opinion so you you've been and i know when we spoke originally you were out in california biking so is that something that you've picked up or something that you've always done or is this something like you know through this experience i'm gonna bike through mexico or bike uh you know in california yeah no i've always ride. i've always ridden motorcycles <clears throat> um 
went down to Mexico to learn how to kiteboard. And you know what that is? It's basically windsurfing. It's like a kite and a little board and you jump and you fly and you speed. And, and that was on my bucket list. So I'm like, huh. before I die, I want to do this. So I just went down there and I went down for three weeks and I almost got it done. And then I went down again for four weeks with a motorcycle and I got it done. That's and so awesome. Now, now I'm not dying. So, you know, I can add more things to my list. <laughs> That's so awesome. That's so awesome. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I was also, I'm, um, I started helping other people, you know, um, kind of not, you know, in the same realm of what you're doing. Right. And I think it's very rewarding. Like I, I'm on a lot of groups on Facebook for different things. And I started, you know, people started reaching out. They're like, Hey, what are you doing? So, you know, I started doing like some consultations and things like that. And it's just, I just love it. You know, it doesn't so sharing, but it's just, you know, it's, it's, I think it's, like giving it or passing it forward is also a healing, you know, I think. Well, it comes back to that mental, right? Like you're helping people always, I, I, I genuinely believe everyone in the world, even the, the, the meanest of the mean genuinely enjoy doing good things for other people. Right. And that's a positive thing in people's lives. I think that that's like an endorphin rush, right? It's almost like if you, I'm, I'm a big runner. So you go out and you run and you run a 5k or you go out, run a couple miles, even this morning, like I went out and walked mm-hmm. and it was positive, right? It got the body moving, the endorphins flowing. Same thing like when helping people, you know, sharing knowledge, especially for what you've gone through, um, is pretty powerful. Um, you know, to be able, it's almost, it's a gift, right? To share that mm-hmm. with other people, potentially maybe they, can have the same positive results that you've had. Yeah. Question. You're, you're not just making an impact with other cancer survivors, but, you know, for example, the Wim Hof method, right? My mom is 82. The only problem she has is arthritis. And she hmm. hates taking any medication. So she was on some cortisone and she hated it. And I said, mom, do this. And she started doing it. And within weeks, she was able to get off the cortisone. She's dressing herself. You know, um, I've had some, you know, you're having impact on people, not just for cancer, but just for other things, you know, like you discover something yeah. that's really healthy and these other people start doing it and you're like, yeah, that feels good, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's wild. So other than the one targeted therapy that you're on, the targeted drug for the, the genetic mutation, mm-hmm. and does the mutation have a name? Did they give you a... It's an uh, it's an FGFR2 mutation. Okay. And that's an FGFR2 inhibitor. It's called Pamazir. It's very rare. Uh, it's pretty rare um, mutation, and it's kind of a new. It's kind of a newer drug. It's only been out for about three years. Yeah. But other than that drug, that's the only we'll say conventional, or let's say Western medicine type drug that you're taking you're not going in for anything else any other supplements or anything everything else is right. what yeah, you I'm went through in terms half of the dose you know so yeah yeah that's it i mean i, I do take a lot of supplements but yeah not that and you Nothing know I, that's I, prescribed i'm sorry yeah that's the only thing i mean they you can get prescribed whatever you want it's ridiculous right yeah. like if i wanted to be like hey give me a hundred uh opiates they would give it to me like this. Yeah, they give it to you. <laughs> they're like, you need, you, need, and they're like you need antidepressants? I'm like, no, I'm good. Like, you sure? You want some Adderall or something? We'll get it for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that now we get into the system, right? This this is a systemic problem. Uh, I I chuckle here because uh, my mother just had uh, my mother's 75. She just broke her wrist. And she refused to, she doesn't like taking pain meds and I don't blame her. Mm. Um, it just bothers her stomach. And she's a two-time breast cancer survivor. And so uh, the doctor pres- prescribed her opiates and it was like, no big deal. <laughs> like, yeah. Here you go. Here's a whole 40 pack. And she's like, I don't want them. And My she didn't take them. My yeah, she- 15. She, uh, she hurt her wrist and they, uh, they prescribed her like 50 of those things. 
It's crazy. But that to me, so there, there's a lot of cracks in the system. You know, that's, that's a big crack in the system. And clearly, you know, that's probably another rabbit hole, another, we could spend a whole podcast on that. I mean, if we look just in the last year, what the data, I mean, we've, we had more people, you know, ever overdose from uh, drug overdoses in the last year in 2021 than we've ever seen in the history yeah. of the world. Um, so clearly there's a problem, right? There's a problem that we have. And, and I think systemically back to your point, like, how does a doctor not talk about nutrition or know about nutrition or someone in there, you know, you, it, it should probably be commonplace that the nutritionist and the doctor go hand in hand on a, a you know, not every appointment, but probably every initial appointment or every other appointment. Maybe yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't have and the answer to that question. A psychologist in the mix, you know? Yeah. Especially but in the but it's like, I, I think a psychologist though, Rainer, that's not just going to prescribe a medication to lift your mood, yeah. you know, because I know for my dad, uh, again, I can speak from our experience. Like we had a psych consult. My dad was depressed. No, no shit. He was depressed. He's just given a stage four diagnosis. I'm sure 99.9% .9 of the people that walk into a room and the doctor says, Hey, you, you may have potentially three to six months to live are going to be really freaking depressed. doesn't take a rocket scientist to, to figure that out. Right. Um, so I, I, I get, you know, that the system is what it is. But that doesn't make it right, right? So if we can help amplify, raise awareness, talk about these things that people should be self-advocating for themselves, because unfortunately, you know, the doctors, you know, aren't going to offer these things. It's like, if you don't ask, you don't get. Yeah. So that's why this podcast and podcasts like it are, are so powerful, Rainer, you know, and, and sharing what you're doing uh, in hopes that someone listening, you know, will do the same thing. So I appreciate the honesty and, and sharing the protocol there that you're on. I got a couple questions for you here. And then um, we hope to give our audience a place where they can follow your journey. Uh, I know you're on social. That's how kind of we connected. Um, but one of my questions here is, example that I just mentioned, someone listening just gets diagnosed, gets pulled into the office today, their stage four diagnosis. Given what you've experienced, what you've gone through, what would be the best advice or, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be one thing. It could be a handful of things that you would say to that person for them to do, given what you've gone through and yeah, what you know. You know. It's, it's, it's funny you say that, you know, but uh, I was just thinking about that. You know, I, I want to write like a it's little something for people who just get diagnosed, who didn't get lucky like me with all the support. You know, there's so many things. I mean, just the, just the idea to get a second or third opinion, right? A lot of people don't know how to do it. Um, but that's definitely something I, I would recommend, right? To get at least two more opinions. So had I listened to my first doctor, I'd be dead for sure. I mean, there is no support for anything, you know, nutritionally or, or you know, or anything. Um, then, um, I don't know, you know, there's, there's financial aid. You know, a lot of people don't realize there's a lot of financial aid. I, I, I didn't have to take advantage of it, but there's places where you can get grants, you can get discounted cell phone service. You can get discounted internet. You can get a handicapped parking, you know, placard. You know, there's so many things to help people like us that that you aren't told about. You know, that you kind of have to go fight for yourself. Like when I was, I mean, I'm, I have to say, I'm enjoying my handicapped parking sticker. I wish they would make one for my dirt bike. Um, but at the time when I got it, it was a lifesaver because I was so weak. And I didn't, you know, I, luckily I, I found out and I knew about it, but there's, there's a lot of things that people don't know and that are available, you know. Mm. But, you know, getting a second and third opinion, I think, would be the, the most important things I did initially, you know. I got a question for you on that that just came up. Why did you get the second and third opinion? You know, my girlfriend did it. I mean, I was like in a haze. When I got diagnosed, I was in a haze because I wasn't necessarily depressed. I was just like, you know, I'm very methodical. I was just kind of like planning things. You know, I'm like, okay, so how am I going to tell the kids? You know, what am I going to tell them? Um, I got three or six months. What can I do? You know, what can I still do when? <laughs> that kind of thing. So I just got busy. I never thought about the second and third opinion, but she is in the medical field. So she's like, yeah, that's what we're going to do. And she did it and she set it up, you know. So uh, I want to do something like that where I have a list of things, you know, to, to do. Maybe this is where you call, 
know, like where do you call at Johns Hopkins? They have a service like that. It's very simple. Once mm-hmm. you know they have it, you know, you send your sample and within three days it's 500 bucks and you get the, you get to talk to the professor, you know? So those kinds of things. The reason why I asked the question is I, you know, I, I think what you said there, second opinion, third opinion is golden. And I've always questioned this. This is kind of like the big thing that like, there's, there's a couple big things, but in my 12 years here, and sometimes I use this analogy. I think people are very fearful of a second opinion because they don't want to know what they don't know. And also I think by going to get a second opinion almost undermines the faith and trust they have in that first doctor. And, and I used to see this and how I relate this to is uh, in my previous life, I was uh, in the financial services business and I used to deal with uh, clients. I also had an insurance brokerage and would deal with advisors. And I remember, you know, doing business with, with clients and, and advisors. And, you know, there were, there were clients that lost millions of dollars with advisors, financial advisors, and they would still stay with that financial advisor. <laughs> And I said, why, why would you stay with him? He, he lost you a lot of money. You could have done a lot better even buying like the S and P or something. Yeah. And I think there's like a psychological thing behind that. Like you don't, people don't want to admit maybe that they made a mistake. And yeah, I relate that mm-hmm. to the second opinion, which doesn't mean that you're making a mistake because you're going, and, and sometimes we, we see a lot of this. And, and again, I mentioned this a lot on this podcast. I relate to a lot my, my experience. My parents refused, absolutely refused to leave this, the community hospital that we were at. Now they had good oncologists. I, they weren't great. They were good. They had good surgeon, wasn't great. But we were 20 minutes from Yale, which was a major medical center. And they had specialists in pancreatic cancer. Yeah. And I did not, I look back and, and my thing was, I should have pushed harder to get my mom to get my dad to Yale early mm-hmm. on. Yeah. Would things have been different? I don't know. But you know, maybe getting that second opinion right away. But what I find a lot of times, Rainer, is a lot of people come to us two years in or a year into treatment and now want that second opinion because now they've realized like, hey, like we we've the doctor that they're with has done everything they can do maybe we need to find a higher volume center with clinical trials or with something yeah. else. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think that initially, so it's so powerful what you said about, you know, getting a second and third opinion, you know, early on, you know, even if it validates what that doctor's doing, it's so important, you know, the original doctor. Right. It's also not just the, you know, uh, and you know, the other thing I, I, I didn't mention, I forgot, we also interviewed doctors, right? So, we didn't just take the first doctor, you know, um, we, I think we spoke with three doctors and, you know, it's also, I mean, you, you're going to be dealing with this person like one-on-one for many years, hopefully. So the personal connection is, I thought was very important to me, you know, um, like one doctor to me had no personal, we just didn't yeah. click and I just didn't feel it, you know? So that's also Besides the opinion, find somebody that speaks to you, you know? Yeah. Which is so powerful, Rainer, because you talk about the mental mindset, you know, Mm -hmm. early on in the mind. So if you click with that doctor and you believe in that doctor, right, that's so powerful, you know, for that mindset. But if you don't click and you don't feel comfortable, um, you know, I've had plenty of conversations with families and they've said, oh, the doctor is so, so abrupt and he, and he doesn't answer our questions then leave don't stay yeah you know it's not worth it it's your life you're fighting for so you should feel 100% comfortable 120% comfortable that that person is there for you and the best that you can do yeah no i agree my last question here for you and this is a loaded question there's no right or wrong to it but given your experience what's your definition of pancreatic cancer? It's a gift. That's my definition. To me, it's a gift. Because I I, um, I live a different life now. I live a better life. I, um, I, I helped some people. I made an impact. Um, 
And yeah, I just, you know, it changed my life. You know, I mean, if, if I, if I'll die eventually, you know, I might change my mind, but <laughs> well, now, I mean, it, it, you know, I mean, I quit my job. I, uh, I, I, um, I, I have less money, but I have more experiences and I have less things and I have more experiences. And, uh, you know, maybe every day I live now is like a week in my previous life because, you know, I have these deep experiences. So that's, uh, that's the change, you know, that's how I look at it. It's powerful. Yeah. I wish more people had that mindset and lived that way. I think the world would be a lot better place. Yeah. I mean, it's the attitude is, you know, is your altitude, right? So it's our old saying, but it's true. Powerful. Rainer, thank you for uh, being a guest and for sharing your journey. Last thing here, if someone listening to this podcast, as I mentioned, maybe they just got diagnosed and they want to learn more about your protocol or someone who's going through it, uh, wants to learn more about what you've been doing and connects with you and wants to talk to you and, and see if that might help them. Where's the best place for our audience to reach out to you? Social media, email, people have given their phone out. So yeah, it's totally my, up to my you. My email address is, uh, hold on, let me give you my Instagram. My, my girlfriend just set, set up a page for me for my cancer stuff. She just did. It's RZ, like the letters, Reiner's X. So it's RZ Beat Beats Pan Camp. I'm on Instagram. So that's where you can where you can reach me. And then my email address, if people want to reach out, it's my full name at gmail.com. Awesome. Right. Here, I'm looking at your social media here. You got a, is that a tuna? Yeah. Little, was one, was little fish. <laughs> that was my trip uh, to Mexico last month. Wow, man. The views are unbelievable. And then I got one here with your, uh, your bike, your whole getup. Yeah. Wow. That looks, um, the, the, the pictures here look, uh, look pretty amazing. Yeah. Pretty special stuff. Yeah, thank you. Rainer, thank you for being a guest on the Project Purple podcast and sharing your journey. Yeah, my appreciate I mean, I appreciate what you're doing, you know. Keep doing it. I mean, podcasts like yours uh, are one of the reasons I, I'm where I am, you know. I mean, that's where you get your, your information, or at least, you know, they make you think, you know, there's something else. It's not just what they feed you, but you know, there's information you can get, you know. So thanks for doing that. Thank you. We'll be in touch. I'll, we'll be in touch uh, four years in, and then we'll do another one six years. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll, I'll, we'll, you're on. I'll hold you to that. Okay. Thank you so much. Take care. Nice talking to you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. If you like what you hear today or where you watch us on YouTube, please feel free to follow us. Feel free to share this episode. And thanks for listening. Until next time, please be safe. That's a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. Yeah.